Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by the one and only Mr. Casey Liss. Hi, Casey. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very well. Casey Liss, what do you like to be known for? What do I like to be known for? Well, uh, being a nice guy. No, you are that. I, you are the nicest. Yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, no, I'm, I'd like to be known for probably my podcast with friends, which is the Accidental Tech Podcast, and its predecessor, which is Neutral. Uh, that's how I've become somewhat marginally famous in this little bubble in which we live. And other than that, I'm, I live a very unremarkable life, as I'm sure we're going to spend some time finding out. What is your background, Casey? Are we speaking professionally or generally? Professionally. Professionally. So I went to school at a place called Virginia Tech, which is in southwest Virginia on the eastern seaboard of the United States. I studied computer engineering, which is kind of half electrical engineering, half uh, computer science. Then I got a job in Charlottesville, Virginia, writing code that was for slot machines for the Oklahoma Indian casino market. Wow. So these slot machines, it, that yeah, is really so good. specific. Yes. Well, but the reason it's specific is because these slot machines were actually just glorified bingo machines because the particular laws of the particular area that, that we did business in allowed for games of chance that for some, I forget the specifics, but bingo qualified, but a straight up just slot machine didn't. Mm -hmm. And thus, what we did was you had these bingo machines that represented the winnings based on uh, with the reels. So it looked like a slot machine, except it had like a bingo board there for some re weird reason. And when you you know pulled the lever, it would basically play one round of bingo. And if you connected you know a series of numbers, then it would represent your winnings by telling the reels to go to you know three cherries or whatever the case may be. So it actually was like a one arm bandit. Machine. Do you refer to them as one-armed bandits in America? I don't. Know. No. Oh, so, well, if so, I've not heard that. You understand what I mean by that term, right? It's that you just pull down the lever. Ah. Uh, mm -hmm. So we call Classic. them. I don't. It must be a British thing. We call them one-armed bandits because they have one arm and they steal mm -hmm. your money. So therefore, mm -hmm. they are one-armed bandits. But yeah. So it basically, sounds like you were just making slot machines that were veiled as bingo machines. Basically, seems like the the mechanism was the same, but it was just there was some loophole in a law that allowed you to create right. it in such a way. Right, exactly. And so I did that for a little under two years. Then I uh, worked for a big um, government contracting firm that did navigation systems for both the Navy and cruise ships. And so if you've ever been on a Royal Caribbean cruise, for example, and, you're dest and you reached your destination safely, then you're welcome. <laughs> uh, and so and so, if you didn't, then it was nothing to do with you. Yeah, then clearly that was not the piece of code I worked on. Um, then after that, I started diving into more traditional consulting. And so I was at a firm, a local firm here in Richmond, Virginia for about four years. And then about a year ago, switched to a little bit smaller firm. I like the the smaller guys. You know, I've kind of done the big, I've done the small and I don't know, call me Goldilocks. But then this, this middle of the road of about, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred people, it's just right. But you do development, though, right? That's right. So I write code. Uh, I typically do web development, uh, usually server-side web development, usually on the Microsoft platforms. So that typically means C Sharp. Uh, oftentimes dealing with CMSs like SharePoint or Ektron or Sitecore or a bunch of things that nobody else has heard of. I know SharePoint. And nobody likes SharePoint. So the worst. It's, it's, it's not my favorite. Let's leave it at that. At all costs, I try to avoid the company SharePoint. 
And most do. That's typically how it works. Even if it means creating more work for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so oftentimes, all kidding aside, we'll try to swoop in and make that experience a lot better. But depending on what foundation you're building upon, that sometimes is not easy. So, oftentimes is not easy. So as you mentioned, sort of when, I, when I asked you to talk a little bit about yourself, um, that pretty much 99% of the people on, on the internet will know you from your podcasting endeavors that you've been doing over the last year. Yeah, we started Neutral, I want to say in January of this year, and it's currently 2013. Uh, and, and we did that for 12 episodes, and about episode four, I think it was, we started to stay on the line after we had finished recording Neutral, and just got to goofing off and talking about nerdy things, because between John Syracuse and Marco Arment and myself, we're naturally going to talk about nerdy things. And so eventually Marco put those on like SoundCloud or something like that, just as, hey, you know, kind of kind of sort of like an after dark sort of thing. You know, here's what we talked about after neutral. It's just kind of us goofing off. And that actually was really well received. In fact, quite a bit better received than neutral was. And so we decided to turn that into its own thing. And that's the genesis of the name, the Accidental Tech Podcast, because we were trying to do a car show, which is what neutral was, and accidentally made this tech podcast out of it. So it's been going strong ever since. Your two co-hosts, Marco Arment and John Syracuse, are both 5 by 5 5 by 5 alumni. How did you meet Marco and John? So I met Marco when we were, I'd say, 10-ish. Um, the origin story, I feel compelled to keep secret because it's very boring. And so I'll let, I'll let the listener fill in exactly how that came to be. But suffice to say... Uh, we met each other when we were very, very young, and we used to hang out together uh, for uh, over the summer periodically, and then kind of fell out of touch, not in an angry way, just in, you know, life goes on. And when you only see someone over the summer, especially before the internet was really a big thing, you know, it's hard to keep in touch with people. And then I don't remember who it was that reached out to whom. I think I got that right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but about around the time, I want to say we, we kind of reconnected in college briefly or university to, to your ears briefly, and then kind of again fell out of touch, not in an angry way. And then a little while after we both graduated, I think around the time that Marco was going to Tumblr, we reconnected in a, in a more solid way, and it's kind of been stable ever since. And then yeah, you know, we introduced each other to our wives, and you know, obviously the wives met, and they, and so on and so forth. And so, actually, the four of us have gotten to be really close. So that's Marco's piece. With John, we were Marco and I were in line at WWDC 2011, and I don't, I believe John walked up to us and found Marco and introduced himself to Marco because this was when Hypercritical and Build and Analyze were starting to get really big, or at least that was my memory of it. And so they got to talking, and naturally, you know, what with me hanging out with Marco, I got to talking to John. And so uh, we, the three of us all hit it off very well. And, and I kept up with John via, you know, the internet for a while. And when Marco decided he wanted to be done at 5x5, it by a series of random and odd events, it just kind of happened that John also wanted to be done at 5x5. And then we thought, you know what, let's do a little mini-series about cars. And, and I wish I could tell you there was all sorts of deliberate planning and all sorts of drama and excitement, but really that's what happened. It was all very accidental. <laughs> so that's how Neutral came to you. It was just you three shared a love of cars together. Yeah, for the most part. I, th I don't remember if Marco said to me or I said to Marco that the two of us should do a show about cars. And then right around that time, like I said, John was finishing with Hypercritical, and so I think Marco said to me, 
you know, we should really have John on as well because he really likes cars and, you know, John is fantastic and, and absurdly smart. So having him on any show is usually a good idea. And so we approached John. I think Marco approached John and John said, yeah, you know, why not? I'll do it for a little while. And, and that's what happened. Marco Armand and John Syracuse have both had extremely popular shows, as we mentioned, and they were listened to by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people every week. So any show that the two of them were going to, was going to do was always going to attract a lot of attention, um, regardless of the topic, even if neutral because of its subject matter didn't, uh, didn't receive the same amount of people listening to it as those shows because it was a different topic. Mm-hmm. It would at least in its first instance create that sort of buzz. Now, having been a fan of the shows, as I'm sure that you were, Casey, and knowing both of these guys, mm-hmm. how did you feel going into it being the other guy? Totally screwed. <laughs> so what was that like? I mean, how did you th- feel going into it? I mean, most people, when they start a podcast, they're going to get one, two, maybe a few of their friends listen to it. But you were destined to have tens of thousands of people hear you in the first time that you got behind a microphone. Yeah, it was extremely, extremely weird. And I think the only reason I didn't implode under the weight of all of that pressure was because the first episode, or actually the first two episodes of Neutral... We decided to record them just as a, hey, let's see if this works. Let's see if the three of us together works. Let's see if the content works. And so we got on the phone, or I guess got on Skype with each other and talked for like two hours or something like that. Maybe it was three hours, whatever the number was. And I was swearing like a sailor because I didn't think we would ever release any of this. And then it turned out it was actually pretty good. And so we ended up taking that first recording session and splitting it in half and calling that neutral one and neutral two. So because it was all, again, accidental, I feel bad kind of you know beating this to death, but because it was, I guess, not deliberate anyway, I didn't really think much of it that first time. And then I'd already gotten two in the bag for the price of one, if that makes any sense. So when Marco released the first one, it was uh, my wife, Erin, and myself and, our, and a good friend of, my, of ours, Phil, we were all at dinner, and all of a sudden, my phone just starts going berserk. And I knew that Marco was probably going to release neutral roundabouts the time that he did, but he never said, you know, I'm going to do it today at five or anything like that. And so all of a sudden, my phone is going crazy, and I realize that everyone is going berserk because Marco and John have a new podcast. And I got a gazillion more followers in the span of like two seconds. And it was, it was really very cool, but very weird because I went just by being associated with the two of them in a more public way. I went instantly from being just some random person to being some random person that people might actually want to pay a little bit of attention to. Because Marco and and John do. Because Marco and John do exactly. And so I I was extremely lucky to be able to have this be my rookie experience, but it is very scary. And and it, that was it, it was rewarding but scary. And and the most rewarding thing of all was that I heard very little. Well, who is this guy anyway? And obviously that became kind of a thing later on. But it, especially up front, I I almost never heard. Well, who is this other guy? Why does he belong here? And I expected to hear that endlessly and it was really rewarding and really awesome to not hear a bunch of that complaining and I think that's part of the reason why the pressure never really got to me too bad was because a combination of the first episode being somewhat of a 
uh, a casual one. And then on top of that, I never really heard a lot of the, the response that I expected. So I just kind of went with it. And actually, it kind of reminds me of Marco's talk that he did at Singleton a year or two ago. You know, how does he decide or who, who blessed Marco to become a magazine publisher? He just kind of did it. And he's very lucky and it worked. And for me, why would I talk into a tube for an hour or two a week? Like, what makes me good enough to do that? And you know what? I just kind of did it. And I'll let everyone else decide if I'm any good at it or not. But it certainly seems to be, it seems like I'm at least okay. And I'm okay with that. It's always a good feeling. I mean, and as well, the thing is, like, and, and I know this from doing this sort of stuff for a long time, is there's going to be people that like you and there's going to be people that don't. But what you probably come to realize is that there are as many people that dislike Marco or dislike John as dislike you. That's mostly true. Yeah. So there, there is a large legion of people that don't care for Marco. I've le- I learned that very quickly. <laughs> and I think that's because – and he's actually an incredibly nice person. Like outside of whatever your opinion is, maybe you think he's, he's forthcoming or maybe you think he's cocky or whatever. But he's really, really a very nice down-to-earth guy. That said, he's also very opinionated, and he'll be the first to tell you that, and he's very vocal about his opinions, which neither of these are bad things, but they're, they're things that would make it easy to hate that person. I've, I've so, had the pleasure of meeting Marco once, and he is without a doubt the smiliest person I've ever met. <laughs> and it's, a really, it's really nice, actually, to talk to him, because yeah. he's genuinely just a very happy and warm person in, in, when you exactly. talk to him face-to-face, which is very nice. Yeah, and so there are a lot of people that don't like Marco. I think not necessarily that they don't like Marco, but they don't like his opinions, and so that gets kind of brought on to him as a person. Um, There are certainly plenty of people that don't care for me, but I have yet to find anyone who doesn't just John Syracuse. And I don't think think it's possible not to. I mean, how can you hate John? I don't know if it's possible. He's... he disarms you with his robotic wit. He's just the the very best of people, I think. Yeah, and, and that's that's been the thing that's been most difficult for me is to be on a show with two with two men and I th- I have tremendous amounts of respect for both of them. And they're both unquestionably extremely bright. And I like to think of myself as a reasonably smart guy, but it's hard when you're standing, figuratively speaking, standing next to the two of these guys, it's hard not to feel like, man, I may not belong here. And so it's it's been very difficult for me to repeatedly and consistently find the confidence to be my own person and to speak up and to make an opinion and not to... uh, hedge all my opinions, which I, I'll always do because it's just something about my personality. But, you know, it's, it's, it was very challenging. It remains challenging to be surround, to surround myself with the two of them. And I don't mean to sound ungrateful. I'm, I'm extraordinarily, I, I don't even know how to describe how grateful I am for, for the opportunity, but it is very hard to be around these two and not feel like, man, I can't keep up. And so I hopefully it doesn't that doesn't come across too much when you listen to ATP or neutral, but I'm stressing, man, every time. I mean, I enjoy it, I have fun, but it's stressful. It is. It, it's weird. It is stressful. I, God, I feel like I'm complaining. I don't mean to complain. It's I just so. it it's it's a lot. So why did you decide to to only do neutral for 
however many episodes it was, 12 episodes, I think. So there was a combination of factors. Firstly, you know, John and Marco, like we talked about, came off very long running, very, very successful podcasts. And I don't think either of them really had much of an interest in getting into that again, especially not quickly, because I don't remember exactly when Hypercritical and Build and Analyze ended, but it was only a handful of months before Neutral started. They were both in December, I think. Okay, so it was it was only a month. Uh, and, and I can assure you that it wasn't a deliberate thing that we were all, you know, plotting to do something fun, but... Um, but when we decided to do neutral, we thought, you know, let's just see how, how, uh, how we feel about it because for Marco and John, they were still kind of tired. And so we figured, well, we'll go eight episodes and then we'll probably run out of content and Marco and John will probably be tired of all this. And then we'll just call it a day and it'll be a little podcast mini series. Well, what ended up happening was we had enough content for maybe 10 or 11 episodes. And then the 12th episode that was when Marco and I and our wives had gone to Munich to pick up his new car. And we figured, you know, what better way to end? I mean, we couldn't find a better way to end Neutral, or at least the first run of Neutral, than having that whole arc, that story arc of Marco deciding what car to buy, buying it, and then the four of us going to pick it up. <laughs> it was, I mean, I, that, I kind of like that narrative. Um, I think that there was something interesting about it because there was a human part to the show as well. It wasn't just let's review or let's talk about the news that's going on in the car world every week. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and however you may feel about listening to Marco Ahmed talk about what BMW he wants to buy. <laughs> um, I personally found that very enjoyable and I, and I really liked the last episodes where um, you were talking about the experience and going to the showroom and stuff like that. Like, I really enjoyed that personally. Oh, I appreciate it. And, and I, I thought it was a great run. Uh, I really enjoyed Neutral. It's funny because the feedback for Neutral was not stellar, and it was kind of frustrating because we, the three of us, made it very clear and were very deliberate about the fact that this was a casual car podcast. It wasn't about being uh, reviewing, like you said, the latest news. It wasn't about talking about how this Lamborghini is better than that Ferrari or vice versa. It was just three guys who enjoy cars talking about cars. Yeah. And because we are not mechanics and mechanical engineers, we got a lot of flack. And I think part of that is because John especially is what would prepare so much for hypercritical so and fact check everything he was planning on saying 35 times over. So when one or all of us were wrong about something, oh, man, people got upset. He brought and the can, hypercritical audience with him which is yeah. as good as it is bad in that respect, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even though we said, guys it's ca or guys and girls, it's casual, it's casual, we're just kind of goofing off here, I think a lot of people just expected it to be perfect. And it wasn't perfect, but I, I don't know. I felt like, in retrospect, I feel like it was perfect in its imperfectness, if that makes any sense at all. It does. I mean, for me, I, I really enjoyed Neutral because I am a, I am a casual lover of cars. I, I used to be a lot more engrossed as a, as a teen. I used to read car magazines and stuff. But now I just have a, a base understanding of the important parts and know what I like and what I don't like to see and to look at. Um, believe it or not, Casey, I don't even have a driving license because it's kind of it's a where I live in London, you don't need one, and it's actually more of a pain to have a car really than not to have one um, because public transport is so great here. I know I'm very jealous, but I do love I love cars, and I, and I think I always will. And 
I want to, if you will please allow me to, I want to, to talk a little bit about a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always ready. Because this popped up for me today, like, because tech sites are reporting about it because it's a hybrid, but it's a BMW i8, and I saw it, and it's one of the most beautiful pieces of machinery I think I've ever seen. It looks like a concept car, but it's actually the production version. Um and it, some stats, it does 0 to 60 in 4.4 seconds. It will do 22 miles on its electric motor, but it is a hybrid. It will cost $137,000. I just found it very interesting. Is this is this a car lover's car, Casey, the BMW i8? You know, I don't know. I, I feel like anyone who really understands technology, and especially automotive technology, should kind of thumb their nose at all hybrids because I feel like hybrids are are a bad solution to a very big problem. If I wanted a car that got great gas mileage, you know, I would go and I would get a diesel, like pretty much all of Europe does. Um, but is it a good car? Is it a car lover's, car lover's car? You know, it's certainly interesting, and Ferrari's been playing with this as well, with the thought of making performance cars that use hybrids, not necessarily for economy, but more for instant power application. Because, you know, electric yeah. motors have... 100% of their available torque from zero RPM. And so that's very interesting and very important because the, the get up and go you feel when you hit your accelerator, that's actually torque doing the talking, so to speak, more than it is horsepower. So it's very interesting. It's just, it's a hard thing because you have to have all these batteries, you have to have two motors. What I did like about the i8 is apparently, I believe it's a rear drive petrol motor in mm -hmm. a front, in the, the front wheels get the power from the electric motor. Is that correct? Yeah, or did the, I get that backwards? The gas motor cranks out 231 horsepower powering the rear wheels while the 131 horsepower electric motor is channeled to the front. So it's a supercar, but it only has like 360 brake horsepower, but that's because the electric motor can can make it go very quick, very fast, right? Exactly. So it's interesting in that way. It's like it's $137,000, but it's got 360 brake horsepower. Right. <laughs> Which, especially for over here where we have cheap gas, and so we typically have very large motors in our cars to carry all our fat behinds around, um, the, you know, 300 horsepower is kind of unremarkable, but you know, applied in the right way, it can be very interesting. Like zero to 60 in four, four and a half seconds, that's moving. Yeah. That's really quick. And I will say the i8, I didn't know if I liked it from the pictures I'd seen previously, but I did look at a couple today and it is pretty. I, I, I really lot. like it. I mean, I, th I think car technology is very going to be very interesting over the next 10 years because we, we don't really have a choice but to change. Um, mm -hmm. We're running out of oil and we will run out. So we need to move to electric, and I think that Tesla is very interesting. I mean, there's that. I don't know if you'd seen that stuff recently with the fact that those Tesla supercharging stations will actually be able to replace the battery in your car now instead of just yeah. charging it. Mm -hmm. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, it's a very clever solution to kind of a very basic problem. You know, how do you how do you get a bunch of juice into these things as quickly as possible? And I mean, it, with, with gasoline, it's very easy to just pump fluid into a tank, but it takes, some, it takes some guts to decide, you know what, we'll just take out the whole darn gas tank and put in a new one. That's, it's a very clever solution, and I'm curious to see if it actually works very well at all. I think that if that does work, then that's, that's really smart. Cause you've got, oh, certainly. It's like 90 seconds and you've got a, a, a full tank. 
Right. And I mean, if, if you drive one of the behemoth mommy mobiles that Americans, suburban Americans love to drive, like, like a, a suburban or uh, an escalator or something like that, they have humongous fuel tanks. They have like 30, 40, 50 gallon fuel tanks or something to that effect. And so it'll take a solid 10 minutes to fill those things up. And here you're talking about getting an entire tank of gas, so to speak. And what'd you say, 90 seconds? I mean, that is very impressive. And then you can, you can cut on the way back, you can pick up your battery again and swap it back out. Exactly. It, it's a very clever solution. I think that's the future. I certainly hope so. I, I don't think hybrids are the future. I think diesels are a good stopgap, but I don't think they're the future. I think some sort of electricity should and will be the future, but making it, making it doable and making, making gas, you know, replacing gas stations with electric charging stations across an entire country, especially one as big as America, we have a lot of land. And so getting consistent coverage is going to take a long time. Getting the infrastructure there is going to be the biggest challenge, I think. So I want to talk to you about ATP. But before we do that, will you allow me to take a break for a shared sponsor of ours? Oh, absolutely. It could be only only one company can be a shared sponsor of all podcasts, and that is of course the fine folks over at Squarespace. The only one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial and twenty percent off. It's a special in the month of September. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Tallyho. Nine. That's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O and the number nine. So let me tell you some stuff that I love about Squarespace. They're always doing great stuff to improve their platform. They're always adding new features, making sure that it's up to date with new social networks that pop up. You know, so if you want to pipe your Instagram feed in there and create a gallery out of it, then you can do that. They add all of this stuff in for you. You don't need to go behind the scenes and update stuff. It's just there. New features adding all the time. They have new designs and they continue to make their support great. They have beautiful designs and templates that you can start with, and they have loads of style options so you can tweak and create your own space online, and you can create something that's so unique for you or your business. These designs, these templates, they have 20 of them that you can choose from, and they've won numerous design awards from institutions like Forbes and the Webbies. So it's not just, I don't just think they're beautiful, but people that really know what they're talking about do too. Squarespace is really easy to use, but they have a dedicated support team. They have over 70 people based just in New York City, and their office has been named the Care Bear Lair, which I quite like. Um, and they've even won awards for this too. Every design, every Squarespace site features a unique mobile experience. They all feature responsive web design, so your site's going to look fantastic on every device, every time. And believe it or not, Squarespace starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. I really love Squarespace. They take all of the hosting. They take care of all of that for me. They take care of all the nasty stuff, the things that I don't understand. I've run sites on Squarespace for many years. I've never had problems with them becoming too popular and going down. doesn't matter who links to them. They're going to be fine. And you can use Squarespace for anything. They're very adaptable. You can create podcast websites. I know that's what, what Casey does with ATP, and they did it with Neutral too. And I've done that myself. I, I built a whole podcast network on Squarespace before. I have my own site there. I've created all sorts of websites, and I'm sure that you will find something to fit your needs over at squarespace.com. So go sign up for a free trial right now. No credit card needed to do this. And when you decide to sign up, because I'm sure that you will, don't forget to use the code TALLYHO9. It's going to get you 20% off during September. So thanks so much to Squarespace for supporting Command Space and all of 5x5. They give you everything that you need to create an exceptional website. 
Thank you to Squarespace. Yep. That, thank you very much. And they actually sponsored the entire run of Neutral. So you could argue there would be no Neutral without Squarespace. They sponsored every single episode of this show, too. See? Just all, like that. They're good. one of them. Squarespace That's has dedication. Support, yeah, they've supported me now since May of 2012. See? That's a good friend to have. They're a very good friend to have. So, Accidental Tech Podcast, ATP. It was a, an accident, but is now your, your weekly <laughs> endeavor. Um, and we spoke a little bit about the fact that, it, you know, it came out of just because you three guys love technology, so you talk about technology. Um, the Skype recording was still going, so you released them. Why did you decide to make ATP an actual show that was weekly? A couple things. Firstly, we found that what began, I think the first episode of ATP was like 15 minutes or something like that. And then the next one was 30 or something like that. And we quickly found that after Neutral, we were doing a whole other podcast. And so this was clearly an itch that the three of us wanted to scratch, even if nobody wanted to listen. And then when we posted the first couple, we got a lot of really good feedback. And that makes sense because this is our wheelhouse. You know, Neutral was a lot of fun. And maybe we'll do another season, maybe not. But it was certainly fun while it lasted. And it was not in our wheelhouse. It, it was something that we aren't experts on. And ATP is about topics that we are experts on. And so naturally, the feedback was a lot better and encouraging. And so we thought, you know what? This thing probably has legs. So let's keep going and let's see how long it lasts. And I don't know how long it will last. We haven't decided on an end yet, but there will come a time that one of us won't want to do it anymore and then we'll be done and that'll be that. But so far, the three of us are really enjoying it and it's been, it's been a wild ride for me to say the least. I actually think the ATP is my favorite podcast. Oh, surely that can't be true. You know, I hear the prompt is excellent. But I record that one. I don't listen, <laughs> I don't listen to it. I mean, if, I mean, the prompt, the prompt is the world's greatest podcast. You know that because see, you listen. I see. Okay, that's you know, it's a fact. We say it every week. Therefore, it, right, it is right. a fact. Um, who manages what with ATP? Because from from listening, my assumption would be that you are arranging the topics and you are steering the conversation. Quite like my role on the prompt. Marco does the editing, and John provides feedback and insight. That's mostly true. I, I would say that that pretty much is true, actually. Uh, the idea when we started both Neutral and then when we decided to make ATP a thing that was going to last for more than an episode or two, Marco and I agreed and talked a lot before we even approached John about, you know, we knew that he got really burned out after Hypercritical. And that makes a lot of sense because he spent unbelievable amounts of time researching before every single episode. And that's what makes Hypercritical so darn amazing. Yeah. But the thing of it is, it's not sustainable. And I would argue as a listener that I would rather hear John off the cuff and maybe make a mistake or two, but hear more of him than have him be perfect every time, but you maybe only get 100 episodes out of him. So we, Jamarco and I had agreed we really want this to be as low stress to John especially as it possibly can be. Marco, at the time, was in the beginnings of selling off everything, his entire empire, although I didn't know that then. <laughs> and so he had a little bit of spare time, and he was interested in it. And Marco, as he's talked uh, many times before, likes to be control in control of his empire. And that's not a bad thing. And actually, it worked out really well for John and I, because I don't really have any interest in editing the shows. I don't have any interest in you know, setting up the, the sponsorships and things of that nature. So... 
to more directly answer your question, I kind of sort of am the showrunner. I, I wouldn't say that I am the quarterback officially, but I'd say about half or maybe three quarters of the time I'm trying to push the conversation in one direction or another. We do have a shared Google Doc where we keep show notes, and basically it's just a list of topics we probably want to talk about. And typically, but not always, I'll pluck off you know the one or two or three topics that that we talk about on any episode. Certainly, there are times that John or Marco will bring something up, and, and that's fine. You know, that's a good thing because if I was running the show, it would only it would kind of be the implied Casey show. Um, and then Marco does so. Marco does the editing. Uh, what typically happens is we record on a Wednesday night, our time, then sometime Thursday, Marco will take our tracks together, make one rough draft out of it, put it in Dropbox. I will listen to it, take notes of all the clicks and pops and, and dropping of things or whatever the case may be, send them back to Marco, and then he will edit those out to the best of his ability. And we usually release either late Thursday or early Friday whenever possible. I envy that so much. Having that time? Just the way that you edit the show. Um, I, I can't do that just because of the amount of stuff that I output because I do like six shows a week. Right. But, but what comes out at the end of ATP is, is a show that sounds fantastic. Um, but there aren't ever any, like if I do this, that's staying in the show. But that would, <laughs> that would leave ATP. If at all possible, yeah. unless you were also talking while that happened. Of course, because so. there's only but, so much magic. But then, you know, it's peppered with nice little sound clips and stuff, which which I like a lot and try to do with the prompt maybe a little bit more um, than any other show because I like that. And, and, and I do some of it on another show that I do called Bionic as well, but most of mine is done live. So it's as, as we're happening, I'll throw a sound clip into the show. Um just so, again, I don't have to go back and listen to it all the way through and add the stuff in. But I think what comes out of it and the care that you take on it, yes, it's not 100% timely, but you get, I think, a better product at the end. Yeah, and that's the trade-off we decided to make was we want this to sound really, really good, as, as good as it can reasonably sound. And, and I don't think e- and either of us or any of us have any problem with taking that extra 24 to 36 hours to making to make sure that we get it right. And I mean, we try really hard and I know Marco spends a lot of time editing all those sound effects. Those were all his, his baby. And I love them. We mm-hmm. did get a little bit of flack here and there, especially when uh, early on in neutral, when I was swearing like a sailor yeah. for all the honks and, and handbrake levers and whatnot. Uh, and some people didn't like them. Uh, I always thought they were hysterical. And when he sometimes splices in little bits, like for example, when uh, John was talking about the Designed by Apple in California ad that had that very soft piano music. I loved what Marco did there. And we actually got a fair amount of complaints about that. So as you said earlier, you can't please everyone, but those those are all Marco. And I should say that I don't want to make it sound like John doesn't participate at all. He actually does participate more than I want him to in the sense that I don't want him to get burned out. But he is thinking about topics. He is collecting links. He is putting things in the notes. It's just our, our, our mission is to try to keep John from getting burnt out at any possible cost. And so, you know, John is never mean about it. He's, he's never grumbly about doing a little extra work here and there. But the, the guiding motivation between Marco and I is to keep John from getting burnt out. Because not only do, would we not have all of these wonderful things that John said, but, you know, our listeners and, and our little corner of the internet wouldn't have it either. Nobody wants that because everyone likes John. Everyone wants more John. How do you manage feedback? Because you don't 
from what I see, have like a ADP at gmail.com or something. Like I assume that feedback comes to all three of you. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, collected via Squarespace and emailed to all three of us. And uh. then basically if somebody has something worth replying, then they'll typically reply and typically just do so privately. And then if it's prudent for all of us to see the reply, obviously we'll copy the rest of them. But um, there's no formal system. You'll find that most of ATP and neutral doesn't really have a formal system. If, and if it does, we just kind of backed into it accidentally. <laughs> I can't even believe I just said that. That wasn't even on purpose. But that's really, that's really the truth, is that we backed into our system accidentally. <laughs> WWDC. There's a reason why I'm going to talk about this, and I'll mention that in a minute. But how many times have you been to WWDC? So I've been three times. I went 20, wait, is that right? Three times. So it was 20. 11, 2012, and 2013. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know why I got myself confused there. Uh, my first time was in 2011, and the only person I really knew was Marco, um, and actually maybe a friend of mine from, from Richmond. I saw I knew two people. And that was an interesting experience, getting to see Marco in his element, because again, this is the same Marco I've known for 20 years. Uh, 2012, it was kind of more of the same, except this time I had also made, you know, a group of friends, many of, many of whom Marco and I shared, some not. And so that was kind of cool because I got to see people again. But this year, this year was different. Why? So this year, it all started when I was in Dulles Airport with underscore David Smith. And we were sitting waiting for the flight because the two of us had planned to fly out together uh, because uh, Richmond's only about two hours south of D.C. and Dulles in Washington, D.C. is the nearest major airport, and you can get direct flights on Virgin America, which is the best airline in the entire world. So anyway, so we're sitting in Dulles, and we were just talking to each other about gosh knows what, and all of a sudden, I see some motion over my right shoulder, and I, did, and I see somebody is turning around to talk to, to the two of us, and this person says, excuse me, are you Casey? And I probably looked at him like he had 12 heads, and I said, well, yeah. And he said, oh, oh, I love ATP. I'm sorry. I, just, I recognized your voice. I just wanted to tell you, I really enjoy ATP. And that was before I'd even left Virginia at this point. And I didn't realize, but that was kind of what I was in for for the rest of my week. And, and I don't say that begrudgingly at all. It was phenomenally cool, but the weirdest experience I've, I've been through in a long, long, long time. So 20, 2013 WWDC was my first WWDC, and, and there was, I had a little bit of that too. But the reason that I wanted to talk about it is because that was where we met. It is. That is our origin story, Michael. Yes. That, that's, when we, that's when we first met. And I don't even remember specifically where. I mean, I remember it being at WWDC, but I don't remember when it was. I th think it was at... I don't know. Maybe it... It was a party, I think. I'm sure it was. It was one of the many. <laughs> it's, it all kind of goes into a bit of a blur. It does, doesn't it? But it was uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I I endeavor to be there every year now. Oh, that's the problem with WWDC is once you've tasted the nectar, if you will, you, you just you need it every year. And it ended up that that all three of us, Marco, John, and myself, were able to get tickets this year. But we had all pretty well, I don't know about John, I don't recall one way or the other, but Marco and I pretty much had agreed that whether or not we're getting tickets, we're probably going to go. Because if you're in this line of work, and I mean that not just podcasting, even if you're in the iOS world, 
it's really prudent to be out there because this is the only time you're going to rub shoulders with some of your heroes, and most of your heroes are extremely nice guys. So it, we, Marco and I decided we were going to go anyway, and then we were lucky enough that all three of us were able to get tickets. And, yep, that's when we met, you and me, Mike. It was awesome. It was very. I mean, I think I'll always go. I mean, I, because it's a time when, like, when would we get to see each other? You know? Exactly. We we exactly will get to right. see each other at San Francisco in San Francisco every year. You know, it's like I get to share hotel rooms with some of my best friends in the world and we get to share food together and you know, I then I get to 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 go out and have drinks with a lot of my other people that I consider to be really close friends. I get to meet people that like what I do as well, which is awesome because that doesn't happen anywhere else. <laughs> exactly. Um I did recently have somebody tweet me and tell that they'd seen me in the world which was kind of strange it's the first time that's ever happened but it's because it's a a sort it's a confluence of nerds all in one place and it, and it was a, a really really fun experience and it's something that i will do many many more times in the future so before i let you go today casey what i mean because i don't want to spoil listeners for 80 people what was your overall impressions of the announcement yesterday we had the <laughs> iphone 5s and the iphone 5c announced did you enjoy the event i'm sure you've watched the video i did watch the video uh i enjoyed it i feel like most of it was unsurprising i almost feel like the most surprising thing is the way apple is treating the two phones after the fact which is to say if you go to apple.com now well at the time in which we record this, I believe the highlighted phone is the 5C. It is not the 5S. And it's interesting that it appears that Apple's really trying to push the 5C as the, uh, the, the new iPhone. And I'm still kind of processing, which is what I'll probably be doing between the time you and I hang up and when I record ATP later tonight. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I think. I'm certainly going to be getting a 5S as soon as I possibly can. I'm really bummed that there's not going to be pre-orders, yeah. which, as many have theorized, I suspect that's probably uh, going to come down to they just don't have enough, and so they're going to be building them as quickly as possible. And so I'm not looking forward to having to wait a long time, but to be honest, if this is the most of my problems, I'd say I'm doing pretty well in life. So, <laughs> So... Casey, where can people catch up with the stuff that you do? So to find me on the internet, uh, I think the easiest and best place is probably on Twitter. I am Casey Liss, all one word, C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S, as you'll hear at the end of our podcast every week. Oh, yes, Um, of course. Yes, indeed. Thank you to Jonathan Mann for that. Uh, and then I very, very, very occasionally write uh, for or on my Tumblr site, blog, whatever you'd like to call it, which is Tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-R dot CaseyLiss.com. And obviously, you can listen to my podcast, which is the Accidental Tech Podcast, and that's at atp.fm. Very jealous of that outro music. Yeah, that was, again, just out of the blue. Jonathan Mann tweeted at us and said, hey, I wrote this for you guys, and it was fantastic. And then later on, uh, I guess it was a month or two later, a good friend of mine, Larry King, not the one that was on CNN, a different one, took it upon himself to write the Who the Hell is Casey song, which we inserted in one episode just for, just for gags. And that kind of has become its own thing that still persists to this day, which I think is hysterical. And it would be so mean if you didn't realize that he and I are very close friends, but uh, it, I thought it was funny from the first time I heard it. And obviously so did Marco and John. I, I remember listening to 
that it was the ATP before WWDC because I was in an airport somewhere and was listening to it and that that happened and I was drinking a Coke that I nearly spit all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, and he did it so well too because it's like, all right, well, we can we can see where it's going for Marco, we can see where it's going for John. What is he going to do with Casey? And it was perfect. (laughs) Who the hell is Casey? Who the hell is that guy anyway? Well, I hope, Mister List, that now more people know who the hell is Casey. Well, I very much appreciate you having me on. It's very flattering uh, when somebody who I respect asks me to participate in their creative work, and so. Yeah, I was I was nice enough, or I was asked to be on uh, Bit Bitquill's Q and A, and that was a little while ago, and that was very very nice and very flattering. And then I guested on uh, another podcast called Mobile Couch, which with three Australian gentlemen that were very very nice, and that's very flattering. And for you, my friend, my dear f- close friend, it is extremely generous and flattering to allow me to ruin your show for the last fifty minutes or whatever it's been. So thank you dearly. Not at all. I've just actually gone on the Bitquill site, and now I can see the rest of your picture where you, you your hands there. Do you understand oh, what yeah, I mean? Exactly. So like, instead of just the square of Casey, I can now yep. see the whole image. So that'll be in the show notes that people can uh, can go and see. And of course, those show notes you'll find at five by five dot tv slash cmdspace slash sixty one. Thank you, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Well, thank you. It's been it's been great. We'll have to do this again sometime. I agree, one hundred percent. And you can find me online too. I am I Mike. I am Y K E. Thank you very much for listening, and I will be back next week with another episode of Command Space. Until next time, bye bye.